Pastor Dan will now give us the word. Let's pray. Lord God, as we turn to your word, we just pray that you would apply it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Help us to receive what you have for us today and just bless your word as we listen to it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue on in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 27, we see that Martha responded to Jesus' question of whether or not she believed that he was the resurrection and the life who gives life to whoever believes in him, even though they die, saying this, Yes, Lord. Martha was willing to believe whatever Jesus said. She had come that far in her faith. He was her Lord. And she was totally committed to him wherever it led. She was a true disciple of Jesus, but all of us should be. And she added, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's not exactly the same thing that Jesus had expressed because she really didn't understand all that Jesus was saying just yet, but it was a true statement of faith nevertheless. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Mary, her younger sister, was more delicate emotionally than Martha, so those who were consoling were spending their time with her. When she heard that Jesus was calling for her, she rose quickly, Scripture says, and went to him. And we read in verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So weeping, Mary said the same thing that her sister had said to Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I prefer the translation deeply moved and greatly disturbed instead of greatly troubled because in our contemporary language, the usage uh, really indicates um, difficulty or fear, even confusion when you translate it troubled. Jesus was not confused or afraid, of course, but he was deeply moved emotionally as he empathized with Mary and Martha and the others who were present. He was disturbed as he felt their pain emotionally, and Jesus feels our pain too. Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Jesus, says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. 
Matthew quotes Isaiah 53 about Jesus, saying, He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's comforting. And Jesus said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. And yes, he loved Lazarus. And maybe he wept thinking of how he must have suffered with his illness in the days before his death, thinking that Jesus' friend was not there to help. But it's more likely that Jesus wept because he felt the loss of Mary and Martha and those around them. Jesus was human, with human emotions, as well as divine. And his human heart was bigger than ours ever could be, undefiled as it was, and it was breaking. Jesus loved Lazarus too, but he knew exactly what would happen to him. Remember, he had said from the start, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Of course, that was the question on everyone's mind. They were all wondering why that hadn't happened, as Lazarus was one of Jesus' close friends. Jesus had healed the blind man and others. Again, he had healed the official son in Capernaum from a distance. Of course he could have healed Lazarus too, if that was God's will for him to do so. But it was not God's will to heal Lazarus, but to allow him to die first, so that he could raise him to life again four days later for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. <clears throat> Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. There's something that the writer John is noticing about Jesus here. He is deeply moved again. And this is not like the other miracles that John witnessed. John is noticing something different this time, emotion that he had never seen before. Maybe John is noticing the intimacy that Jesus shares with the Father in prayer, which he usually did alone at night, but now is doing here in the open, in public. Jesus' heart is bared before John and before these people like never before. In the midst of this intimate time with these beloved sisters, empathizing with them and praying with the Father, John sees what Jesus' heart is made of. 
And we, the readers, need to pay close attention to Jesus, our mediator too, who is in full operation here. Jesus is deeply moved, greatly disturbed, and he is weeping. He's weeping with his beloved people. And then he acts, first interceding with the Father to the Father, and then speaking his powerful word. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, objected and said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus realized that, of course. He had been in communication with the Father about this from the time that Lazarus fell ill. It was all part of the divine plan, revealed to Jesus as always by the Father. Jesus saw Martha's objection for what it was, simple, faltering faith. And he had compassion on her and reassured her with his word. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Again, we see how Jesus cares for his people, how he encourages faith. And we should see through this where we must go whenever our faith begins to falter. We need only to go to Jesus too, go to his word, and he will be faithful to reassure us as he did Martha and inspire our faith once again with all that we need to go on. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. That, of course, brings to mind what Jesus said to his disciples at the beginning of this whole episode that he was glad that he was not there, so that they may believe. His disciples had believed like Martha, but there was more to believe, more to believe about Jesus. They had to believe that God the Father had given Jesus authority over life itself. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That's a picture of our present life as believers infused with life by Christ and released from the bondage of sin. And it's a picture of our future resurrection. As Jesus said in John 5, 25, the dead will hear his voice and live. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. 
was what was to the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus had proved the words that he said to Martha and the words that he had said to those who were against him in John chapter 5. He proved that the Father loved him and showed him all that he was doing. And this was the greater work that Jesus would do that he had told them about beforehand that would cause them to marvel. He proved here that just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. But some of them, likely those who were against Jesus, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Of course, what was wrong with that? What is wrong with everyone believing in someone who has proved himself in such a dramatic way? Jesus did what he did for that very purpose that they might believe. But we see the problem in their reasoning in the very next phrase. They were more concerned with their position, their personal status, and their job security. They believed if everyone began believing in Jesus, then their nation would be exterminated by the Romans. They said the Romans would come. The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were already being dominated and oppressed by Rome, but it wasn't as bad for them as some others. They still had some autonomy as a nation and they were still allowed to practice their religion, which benefited them personally. And so these guys who still had their positions and security and some respect among the people which they so desperately hung on to effectively chose Rome over Jesus. And that's how they still didn't believe in Jesus even after this great sign of his. It was their choice as it is each of ours. But one of them Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And John tells us, He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And that's an amazing thing. God even spoke through this man because his position was ordained by God, even though he was not right with God personally himself. Sadly, 
Scripture says, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death, him being Jesus. In conclusion, I think we see from this story of Jesus raising Lazarus that though God grieves as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and we saw Jesus grieving, he still allows bad things to happen that we cannot always understand or explain. Most often, we do not know why God allows bad things to happen. Sometimes we can see why bad things happen from examples in the Bible when we are actually told why and we are able to study those examples to see how they relate. But other times we cannot see why. In time or after time we shall know, but we don't always know. In this example, Lazarus's illness and death was to the glory of God to those who believed in Jesus. And it was to the condemnation of those who chose not to believe in Jesus, but rather to put him to death because he offered such undeniable proof of who he was. In the end, if God allowed his beloved son to suffer and die unjustly at the hands of evil men without giving his people understanding as to why that had to happen until after he rose again, then we can expect that God will not always give us answers when we want them. But we can be sure that God has the answers and we can be sure that he is faithful and just no matter what. As Christians today in this present and tragic pandemic, we may be tempted to explain things away, justifying God to our non-Christian neighbors. But please remember that God needs not be justified by men. His very character is just. In fact, he is the only just one, and he proves himself to those who want to know him. We may not know why God allowed this present crisis specifically, but we do know this, that God grieves and somehow and somewhere, someday, it will be for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We can have the privilege to participate with God if we grieve too, if we grieve with him and if we pray too and if we give ourselves fully at this time to do exactly what he asks us to do so that many may believe in Jesus to the glory of God. I close with a scripture from Romans 8, 25 through 28. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these promises, these wonderful promises for us who, who know you and love you because you know and love us, Lord, and died for us on the cross. And we just thank you for that and thank you that there's a purpose in everything. And just help us to be patient in this time and, and keep on listening to your word and obeying what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.